starting this new series today about baggage. And um, I don't know what that says to you when you uh, hear that word, but let me just begin right out by saying, we all have baggage. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> that was a good amen. <laughs> I think I'm on to something. Like, you show me a person without baggage, and I will show you a person who has not yet been born. I, I think one-minute-old babies have baggage, right? That's why they come out screaming their full heads off, right? I, I, I imagine what is going through the mind of a baby one minute old. They are thinking, you would not believe what I have been through today, right? <laughs> Talk about pressure. I have been under serious pressure. And I blame my parents, by the way. <laughs> no more? I know, you're just laughing so hard. It's like, I usually go to a comedy club for stuff this good, right? Um, and so I think we all deal with baggage. And, and the reason we all deal with baggage is because we all live in this fallen world, right? And, and so part of the problem is there's this whole world that is messed up in a lot of ways. And part of the problem is you're messed up and I'm messed up, right? And so, so, you know, the scripture says that... Um, that every single person deals with sin. And sin is a ju just a, a massive, massive problem. And you go, what's all this baggage about? All this baggage is about your sin or somebody else's sin. That's what all this baggage is about. Um, you know, the Bible says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so let's just begin this whole series by putting us all in the same grouping, okay? We've all got stuff. We all got issues that we're dealing with. Um, so the question is not whether you have baggage. Of course you have baggage. So do I. The question is, what are we going to do with our baggage? And I, I don't know about you, but I would like to lay my baggage down, <laughs> I would like to stop carrying so much weight. Um, about a year and a half ago, Christy and I were uh, leaving on vacation. And so this is how it works at our house when we're going on vacation. Um, there are bags that have to be packed, right? And I am the bag packer in our family. Some, somehow, by God's grace, I know this is shocking to you, but, but I guess because I've traveled so much, I've learned all these tricks about how to make things fit and how to get it to keep from wrinkling and all that kind of stuff. And so the way that it works in our house is that Christy spends about three days picking out outfits and laying them out, and then I come up with suitcases, and then uh, it goes the same way every time we have this conversation where I say, honey, you know we're going for four days, not four years, right? And she says, you never know what outfits you might need. And it could be hot, it could be cold, I might need a sweater, and we might go to a nice place, and I got these new shoes, and I figured if I'm going to have the new shoes, I should have a bag that goes with, right? And we have this whole conversation, and I act like I'm surprised, and I shrug my shoulders and get a bigger suitcase, and that's how we do this. And I pack it up, and we go off to the airport. We, 
We're standing in the Ontario airport. We're running a little bit late. We get there um, when the crowd is already massive, right, to go at the check-in counters. And we, we wait in line and wait in line and wait in line. And we get to the front of the line. The place is just packed with people everywhere. People, people, people. Take the suitcase, put it on the scale. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? And the guy says, uh, it weighs too much. And, and I have a personal thing with people saying something weighs too much. Just, so it, he says it weighs too much. And I said, well, uh, what do we do about that? He said, well, we have an overweight charge. It's $25,000 in cash. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, we don't, we're not going to do that. W what can we do? And he goes, well, just take some of it out. You know, put it in your backpack, your computer bag, your carry-on, whatever. Just take some of it out. I said, how far overweight is it? He said, three pounds. Right? That's what I said. Come on, dude, three pounds. Come on. He goes, no, you're going to have to. So there's a thousand people waiting, right? And we have to take our suitcase and put it on the ground. And then we have to open it up, right? This is horrifying. And my wife's going, you didn't put the underwear on top, did you? <laughs> and, and then we're opening this thing in front of everybody. We're pulling stuff out and stuffing it in other bags and all that kind of stuff until we finally get it all weighed out just right. Um, and, and, you know, you don't mind so much. They have a rule. It's 50 pounds. If it weighs 53 pounds, you got to get three pounds out and get all of that kind of stuff. But you don't really want to unpack your baggage in front of God and everybody at the airport, right? And... And the interesting thing is that I think, sadly, a lot of us feel that way about our personal baggage. We don't want to let anybody know what's in our baggage. We certainly don't want anybody to see us unpacking it. We wish we could travel lighter, but we don't want to unpack and so we just keep lugging around all of this extra weight. And, and for many of us, the last place on earth we want to unpack our bags is at church. Because as you know, everybody at church is perfect, right? And, and you wouldn't want them to think you're not perfect. And you wouldn't want anybody to know about any of your baggage, any of your struggles, any of the things that are weighing you down. And so you just leave that all and you put on a happy face and you pretend like there isn't anything to unpack. But listen, guys, what is the church if not the family of God? And we've been talking, I have been up here blabbering for three straight months about how we're better together, right? And we just all admitted that we've all got baggage. We've all got baggage and we're better together. And the scripture tells us that we are supposed to bear one another's burdens, that means we're supposed to help lift one another's baggage. We're supposed to carry for one another what, what cannot be carried on our own. That's part of what it is to be the church. And let's not forget what Jesus had to say on the subject of baggage. Take your Bibles. <clears throat> we're going to be all over the scripture this morning. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew. Beginning of the New Testament, book of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Very well-known passage. It's going to be all over the, uh, the sermon series. We're going to keep coming back to it again and again. But let's just get it out there right from the beginning. What does Jesus have to say about our baggage? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, says Jesus, is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus' invitation to us is to come to him with baggage and all, and to actually lay our baggage at his feet and let him be the one that carries all that stuff. And he invites us to join him in his yoke. You go, what is a yoke? I thought that was a part of an egg. No, there's another kind of a yoke, right? We don't know this because we're city folk. But, but if, you, if out on the farm, if you have oxen uh, pulling a plow, what you have to do if you want them to work together is you have to put this big wooden collar around both of them, right? And if they're both in that wooden collar and they walk together, they'll stay together. They can share the weight. They can, they can uh, share the work. And Jesus says he has a yoke. Don't, don't get confused. I'm not going to stand up here and sell you a version of Jesus where there is no burden. There is no version of Jesus like that. He says, I have a yoke, but compared to what you're used to, my yoke is easy. You know why his yoke is easy? Because he's the big ox. You, you may just be a little small, weak ox, but you get put in next to Jesus and you share that oak, that yoke. Who do you think is doing most of the pushing? Who do you think is carrying most of the weight? He brings you along with him, and as you walk with him, he takes the burden. That's why he says, My burden, not that there's no burden, but his burden, he says, is light. And we're going to come back to that. Again and again. I, I, I want you to see, though, how this theme sort of unfolds in the New Testament. Um, I'm not going to make you turn there. I put these uh, verses up on the, on the screen. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not, let, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You were called to freedom, a whole lot of us don't think that way about the calling of God in our lives. We think we're called to rules and regulations and, and uh, traditions and, and uh, loads to carry. He says, no, you're called actually to freedom. The problem with all this freedom, though, is that we have a tendency to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We use our freedom to give us an avenue for sin, which just dives us right off the next cliff. But he says, don't do that, but understand you are called to freedom. Go to John chapter eight, and I put verse 32 and verse 36 up on the screen. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You've heard that verse, right? And then, and then verse 36, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Guys, there's a whole lot of ways that people think of freedom. People think freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to do. And yet, a lot of us have tried a life where we did whatever we wanted to do. And let me just ask you, did it lead to freedom? No. So there, there's this belief that somehow if we could do whatever we want to do, we will have freedom. But he says, let me tell you about real freedom. When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. 
This is a whole different definition of freedom. He gives you your freedom. That's what it is to be a a follower of Christ. That's what it is to be yoked with Jesus and let him carry the burden. Acts chapter 13, verse 39. And through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is free from all the things from which we could not be freed through the law of Moses. I don't know if you've ever heard that verse or read it before, but look at it again. Write it down in your notes. He he is saying to Jewish people, you know how we had all these laws and all these traditions, and for all these years and decades and millennia, we have been trying to keep these laws, and we keep failing and failing and failing and failing, and the laws have oppressed us, and they have held us down, and they've just been a burden to convict us. He says, all of those laws could not set you free. Jesus came to set you free. Freedom. It's the theme of the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, there's that word again, from the law of sin and death. He set us free. That's what the whole gospel is about. Now go back to Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Why did he do this? Why did he set us free? Because he designed us to live in freedom. But ever since the fall of man, we've been living in bondage. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We could go on and on and on. But this, this theme of freedom in Christ just resounds throughout the whole scripture. It's the overarching theme in the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus began his public ministry, the very first thing that he preached about himself was, is found in Luke chapter 4. So take your Bibles. I'm going to make you turn to this one. Go to Luke chapter 4. And I want you to see this as Jesus is now beginning his public ministry and he goes into the, to the synagogue to worship and being a visiting rabbi, they do what is traditional. They give him the scroll to read. And he reads the scripture to them, okay? And he reads from the book of Isaiah. Here we find it, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Listen. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's announcing himself as the Messiah, the Savior. What does the Savior do? He comes to set captives free. He comes to 
to bring that life that has been missing while we've been in bondage to sin and the law and all the religious systems that we pick up thinking we could somehow make ourselves better before God. He said, listen, I see you struggling. I see you bound up. I see you stuck and I have come to get you unstuck. That's why I'm here. Listen, if you want to know what Jesus wants to do in your life, let me give you part of the answer. Jesus wants to get you unstuck. That's what he wants to do, to set you free. So, so this theme is just throughout the scripture. It's a big deal to Jesus. He defines his ministry by saying, this is what I'm here for. So here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. As the body of Christ, we're going to march in here every Sunday morning with our baggage. All right? Bring your baggage. March in every Sunday morning with your baggage for the next few weeks and all those chains and all those shackles and all those ropes that bind you up and all the stuff that you don't talk about that, that uh, you live with but you would rather no one knew about and, and what we'll do is we'll have you stand up and share all your deepest... No, we won't do that. <laughs> wow, there's no one here next week. Wow. What we'll do is we will march in together honestly and stand before a God who has eyes to see our hearts anyway, and we will say, God, here we are, set us free. That's what this is about. Okay, so let's lay some foundation from God's word. There are so many places I could begin this series, uh, but I think it's best to start with the Apostle Paul. When he was Saul the Pharisee, he thought he knew freedom. But all he ever really knew was bondage. He had bondage to tradition, bondage to the law, bondage to hatred and anger and malice and bitterness and self-righteousness. And until he met Jesus, that's the way he lived his life. But if you turn to Philippians chapter 3, and that's where we're going to sort of camp We'll skip around a little bit, but go to Philippians and uh, move your little ribbon or bookmark to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at this in Philippians chapter 3 and listen to how Paul describes himself. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So, so this is how he describes himself. He says, he says, I came from the right nation. I came from the right tribe. I came from the right family. I have the right education. I have the right pedigree. I have the right educational degrees. I have all the robes with all the tassels and all of that kind of stuff. People stand back and pay honor to me when I walk down the street. I am the man in the Jewish community. People honor me. They respect me. They see me for who I am. And if anybody has the ability to put confidence in the flesh as a Jewish man, Paul says, it's me. I check all the boxes. I've got all of this stuff going for me. And it's interesting how our baggage comes in all shapes and sizes. Paul calls his baggage gain. Look at verse 7. 
Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the righteousness, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He calls it baggage gain. Have you ever been at the airport and you see some rich person coming through the airport and the chauffeur is pushing that little cart of all the matched, you know, Calvin Klein luggage? Is that good luggage, Calvin Klein? What should I say? Gucci, Louis Vuitton? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I thought uh, Kirkland brand was good. I, didn't, I don't know. Okay, all right, so picture, the lady's going through, she's got her hair just right and her nails done just right, she's dressed just right, she has a chauffeur pushing the thing and all this Louis Vuitton matching luggage, 11 bags and he's pushing and you watch her go by and you go, wow, that's cool. Have you ever traveled with 11 bags? It's not cool. It's not cool. Um, and And... Traveling with that much luggage can be rough. You know, um, Bo and Mim from our church, they're in Africa right now. Be home soon, so be praying for them. A lot going on over there in Zimbabwe. Unrest because of the elections. We really need to be praying for them. They'll be home soon, be able to give us a report. Uh, we have been to Africa together multiple times, and every time I go to Africa with them, it's always great for me because I don't have to pack as much. Because Bo brings everything. That guy brings everything. You wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I wish I had a smoothie. It's like, oh, I have this blender I brought with me, you know? And, and you're like, are you kidding? You're like, oh, man, I'm so tired. If I just could use a jacuzzi. He's like, oh, I have an inflatable tub. We'll bring this. He has everything. He brings everything with him. And it's awesome. So if you're ever going to go on one of these trips, go with Bo because he has got you covered, right? You drink like swamp coffee when you're in Africa. It's just terrible stuff. And there, there is great. Some of the best coffee in the world is from Africa. But, but you're out in the bush and you don't have access to that coffee. And so he brings these little packets. I don't know if it's coffee or cocaine, but I gotta have it. <laughs> I don't know, I was like instant coffee is terrible, right? He's got this stuff, I don't know what it is, but you just mix it with water and you're like, yes! This is the greatest <laughs> stuff in the world. I'm telling you, travel with Bo anytime you can and ask him to share his coffee. But here's the thing, when you're carrying all that luggage, there's at least two problems with this. One is, it's heavy, man. It's heavy. You have to lug that stuff around with you and it can really weigh you down. And really slow you down. And when you're traveling around the world, man, it is not easy to, to find transportation and you have to get bigger transportation because you have more baggage. 
You have to, you have, to have bigger vehicles. You have more to carry. It, it's, it's very difficult because it's heavy. The second problem is when you think you bring everything with you, you, you come to depend upon yourself and what you bring to the table when you really need to depend upon God. And when you start thinking that you have everything covered, when you start thinking you can handle things on your own, you are in big trouble. So Paul had this impressive resume, the right upbringing, the right lineage, the right education, the right religious heritage, plenty of money, lots of prestige. He had it all going on. But all of that put together was not enough to carry him through. In fact, it all turned into extra baggage that he was carrying, and he talked about it as something that just weighed him down. What he had previously considered success was actually the chains that were binding him up. People have a lot of strange ideas about success. I looked up some quotes this week on success I just, I wrote down three of them for you. One is from Sir Winston Churchill. Ever heard of him? Yeah, here's what he said. Success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Well, that's kind of a pithy saying. But as I looked at it, I thought, I'm not sure that makes, makes you a success as much as it makes you an enthusiastic failure, Right? Deepak Chopra, he said this, success in life could be defined as the continued expansion of happiness and the progressive realization of worthy goals. The continued expansion of happiness, that, that you're just getting happier and happier all the time. How many of you know that it is possible to be happy when you're doing the wrong thing? right? It, it, is, it is entirely possible to be doing the right thing and be unhappy. Isn't that true? If we're going to use happiness as the measuring stick of success, that is a terrifying barometer. You know why? Because you don't control your happiness. Your circumstances control your happiness. And as I always say, when you win the lottery, you are happy. When you got to go to the IRS, you are not happy right? Your circumstances control your happiness. If you're aiming for happiness, listen, I'm pro-happiness. I would rather be happy than sad. I like being happy. But if, if you're aiming for happiness as the bar of your success, you have set the bar way too low. And you're going to find yourself disappointed again and again and again. He says it's about happiness. And he also says it's about the realization of worthy goals. But let me ask you a question. Who determines what goals are worthy? Hitler thought the extermination of the Jews was a worthy goal. We have to really be careful about putting all of this in our own, um, uh, on our own plate, so to speak, so that we get to determine what makes us happy and we get to determine what is a worthy goal. So I went a little further back. I, I checked with a poet, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said this, success is to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children to earn the appreciation of honest critics. And he said a whole lot more because he's a poet and that's what they do. Um, 
to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of critics. So if critics like you and children like you and you laugh a lot, you are by definition successful according to Emerson. And you know what I thought when I read this? I, I, don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. You know what I thought when I read this? You know who I thought of? Bill Cosby. The affection of children and the critics love him and everybody's clapping. And for all we knew, for all these years, he was just the greatest guy. We all wanted him to be our dad. But as the truth came out about his life and some of what he's done, we would not define that as success. I hope you wouldn't. But he's got a lot of money. Big house, nice car, fame, fortune, the whole deal. But is that success? The most helpful definition of success I've ever been able to find was written by the Apostle Paul himself. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's turn back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Now, who is him? God. We, Paul says, myself and, and um, my co-laborers in the gospel, we have as our ambition, our singular ambition, not one of our ambitions, our only ambition. This is our ambition, to please God. If we come to the end of the trail and we can stop and look back and say, you know what, God is pleased, we will be successful. If we haven't yet reached the end of the trail, but we stop at any place and we look and go, how's it going in my life right now? What I'm doing right now, where I am right now, what I'm thinking, how I'm acting right now, is it pleasing to God? If the answer is yes, you are successful. But what if the answer is no? <laughs> Because we said we're going to be honest, right? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes I, I take a close look in the mirror and I go, you know what? I know I'm not pleasing to God right now. I know there's stuff going on in my heart that isn't right. I know there's activities in my life that aren't right. I know there's brokenness in relationships that I need to fix. I know it's not right with God. I know God is not pleased with me right now. What do you do? Because if we're going to call it success to be pleasing to God, we have to call it failure when we're not. So what do you do when you're failing, when you're not being pleasing to God? Here's the beauty. When you're not pleasing to God, you always have the option of confession and repentance. And Jesus said if we would confess and repent, he would receive us back and we would be restored to his good pleasure. So, so the only one who could keep you from being successful according to the biblical definition of success is who? You. You. You have the power. You can be successful today. Some of you walked in here with baggage today, not even prepared for the fact that the Lord is going to hit you right between the eyes. You walked in here with baggage today that you have no intention of letting go of. You like it. You want to keep it, but you know that it's not pleasing to God. You know that it is weighing you down. You know that God wants you to deal with it, and you're thinking, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to deal with it someday. I told God I was sorry, but I'm still living this way. And you know what? <clears throat> God looks at you and says, right now, you have the power to go from failure to success. 
All it has to do with is surrender and repentance. I can turn back to Jesus and he always, always is ready to restore me. The only one who can keep you from succeeding is you. Now, before I go any further on this point, I want to make something absolutely clear. I am not making light of anyone's baggage. We all have different baggage. Paul had baggage that most people found really impressive, but it turned out it was baggage. And some of us have that kind of baggage too. One of the problems with being successful in this world is that it raises the bar and puts pressure on you so that you feel like you have to keep performing at a certain level, right? And, and if, you, if you had the misfortune of being the younger sibling of some superstar sibling that was like two years ahead of you in school, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, I didn't have that because I was the youngest and I was the superstar, but that's another thing. <clears throat> My brothers never listen to my sermons. It's okay. So <laughs> if you had that problem of falling behind a superstar, you know what it's like. And, and there's already pressure on you. Or if you've had the challenge of being the superstar, you are the straight A student. You are the, the captain of the football team. You, you know, you're the one who always gets it right. You're the one who keeps the room clean. You're the one who does what mom and dad say. Your siblings hate you, by the way. But that's who you are? Amen. <laughs> if that is who you are, then, then you have to, you already know this. You carry that burden with you all the time because that is the expectation that people have of you. And you live with this burden of going, wait till they find out that I really can't measure up. Wait till they find out that I'm really not enough. I know they're going to find out. I can't let them see. I have to push on. I have to succeed. I have to drive. And you live that way. That's one kind of baggage. And that is real. And that is heavy baggage. It's one of the reasons that we're always reading about suicides and overdoses among the rich and famous and the accomplished people in our society. Some of us are carrying another kind of baggage. Words like abuse come to mind. Rape. Disability. Homelessness. Divorce. Molestation. Criminal record. I could go on and on. This stuff comes with the stigma, guys. It... it, it it, it carries with it certain stereotypes and, and it can weigh you down because there is shame and there is guilt and there is uh, judgment that you feel is put on you and your dignity gets taken away and you get secluded and there's all kinds of challenges that you face when the baggage that you carry has to do with what you have done that is wrong, what you have failed to do that is right or what has been done to you that is abusive, and you carry that. And so we're not gonna categorize one kind of baggage as heavier than another kind. If, if it's baggage that you weren't carry, Jesus wants you to put it down. And so I, I'm here to tell you today, over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about some of those topics. We're going to be talking about what is it like when, when you're so driven to succeed because you're so afraid to fail because you've always succeeded and everybody expects the most of you. 
What does it feel like when, when you're carrying the burden of being the one in your family who's got their act together and you're the one who bails everyone out and you're the one who pays everyone's electric bill and you're the one that everybody calls when they're in trouble? We're going to talk about what it's like when your criminal record is a, is a source of embarrassment and you can't get a job because of it or when you've been molested or when you're the molester and your whole reputation has been destroyed because of your sin. Guys, it's all baggage. And Jesus gave his life to set us free. Paul had some accomplishments in his past, but he also had some guilt and shame. In fact, over and over, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. And he's not kidding. He, he calls himself the least worthy of all the apostles. By his own admission, he is a blasphemer and a persecutor of the people of God and a violent aggressor. All of that's in his past. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw a recent movie that was out this year called Paul, Apostle of Christ. I recommend it. It was, it was well done. Um, but the, the director, writer of the film, took an angle on this whole idea with Paul where, you know how Paul always talks about that thorn in his flesh that God would never remove? And he kept crying out and crying out and crying out. In the movie, they, they depict that thorn as being Paul being haunted by his past. That, that he, he, he goes to sleep and he sees in his mind the picture of people that he killed who are followers of Jesus. And, and he carries that struggle. Now that's Hollywood's version of it. I, I don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but Paul had that past. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to how he must have felt when we think about our past and we're ashamed because of what, we're done, what we've done or we're ashamed of what was done to us. Things we wish we could go back and change. But the damage has already been done and the consequences are real. And the baggage is heavy. But Paul understood that even though we all have a past, what's more important is that in Jesus Christ, we all have a future. And, and guys, that's where we have to get to. Listen, God has an incredible plan for your life. But you will never experience it as long as you're living in your past. You are not moving forward if you're looking back. Go back to Philippians chapter 3 again. I told you to leave something there. It's Philippians chapter 3, pick it up in verse 7 again. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He counts all of the things in his past as rubbish. And, and the word rubbish or garbage may be in your translation, but really the word means dung. The, the dung heaps that they would have outside of the city. This is what this Greek word is. And, and they would, this was their sanitation process. And, the, and the, the dung of animals and people would be gathered outside the city and would be burned. And Paul says, when I look back upon my past, all the junk and all the things that they give you certificates for, 
And when I look back on all that kind of stuff, I have to count it all as dung. It's already served its purpose. It is now waste. It is no longer useful for anything except to be burned. Listen, that rubbish, that garbage is not meant to continue as a part of your life. It no longer serves any positive purpose whatsoever. If it, some of us long for the days of our past. Some of us remember being the prom queen. And, and some of us remember being so popular back in the day. Or we remember a time when we were young and upward mobile in our career and everybody was promoting us and we got the corner office and we had the authority and all that kind of stuff. And now we're just old and tired and retired and nobody comes to us for anything anymore. Nobody looks to us as somebody important anymore. A lot of us look back on our past and go, man, I wish I could go back. But a lot of us look back on our past and we go, man, I want to get as far from that garbage as I possibly can. Paul admitted that he had a past. But look at verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. How is it rubbish, Paul? That great education? That, that impressive resume, that heritage that was passed down to you through the generations, your role as a priest in the nation of Israel, how is that dung? He says, when I compare it to the value of knowing Christ, it's worthless. It doesn't matter at all. And then go to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, he says, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew what real success was. He knew it was available to him if he just chose to be pleasing to God and repent when he wasn't. It's not about what's behind us. It's about what's ahead of us. You see, God has his victory in our lives already taken care of. All we have to do is let go of our past and walk with him in the present and into the future. And Paul knew he didn't have it all figured out. He says, not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already laid hold of it, but he also knew that he was never going to move ahead if he kept living under the weight of his past. So Paul chose to let go. And he chose to press on. He chose to let go and he chose to press on. Just that phrase, press on, tells us it's not easy. It's not easy to move forward in life all the time. It's not easy to take Jesus' hand and walk with him to what he has next when you're way more comfortable in where you've been. But he says you got to press on. It's not easy to press on when the enemy attacks you, when your friends don't understand you, and when your family is totally confused by the fact that you're sort of changing and living for Jesus. It's not easy to press on. And it's not easy to press on when your friends are always calling you from behind saying, hey, come back here, come back here, come back here. 
But Paul said, I gotta leave all that stuff behind me and I have to press on. What's he pressing on? Toward the calling that God has for him. Guys, do you see the wording? There's a future. He's calling us to the future. And he doesn't want us held behind. By the way, that's why we have each other. That's why God put us together. Sometimes you need me in order to keep pressing on. And sometimes I need you. That's how God designed it. Well, one way or another, we have to press on because the future that God has in front of us is so much better than the past that's behind us. So that just brings me to this obvious question. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of in order to move ahead with Jesus? What is keeping you anchored in your past instead of sailing into the future that God has for you? What baggage are you carrying that is just holding you back from making progress in your walk with God? Bitterness, guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, failure, abuse. Is there any good reason at all to hold on to the past when God has an incredible future in store for you? Jesus stands before you today, right now, opens his arms and he says, come unto me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? Come to me. I will give you what? Rest. And you're going to need rest because God called you to press on. Let's stand and pray together. Let me just invite you to bow your head for a minute. Just kind of get with God in your heart. Because I, I have no idea what the Lord might be showing you that you need to let go of. But if he's showing you something, you need to talk to him about it. You need to carry that burden to the foot of the cross and lay it down and leave it there. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Father, I pray for each and every one of us today, all with our baggage, Some of it's about our own sin. Some of it's about sins against us. Some of it is about broken dreams and failed hopes and fear. But Lord, we choose to believe you when you say that you're able to set captives free. We choose to believe you when you say it is finished. We choose to believe you when you say we don't have to live in our past, but we can come to you and you will give us rest and a new yoke and a new direction and a new hope. So I pray for each one of us today. Help us to let go. And I pray for each one of us, Lord. Help us to press on.
that we might live a truly successful life. That's all about pleasing you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.